0: Tonight, we're going to talk about how you can know that you know. And we're going to look very briefly at Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, we need your knowledge. We need your grace to meet us here even right now. To glorify your name, to bless us, and to make your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a couple questions. The first question I want to ask you is, am I hungry? How do you know? Where's my car? How do you know? What is two plus two? How do you know? What's my name? Again, how do you know? Who is George Washington? What is water made out of? What, how do I change a faucet? Is it okay to torture babies for fun? How do you know? By the end of tonight, I want us to have at least an understanding that there are answers to these questions. And mainly the one I kept repeating, how do you know? You will know how you know, and you will be able to know, more importantly, that you know. The important question here is not the specific answer to the question, these questions, except for maybe the last one, that it is definitely not okay to torture babies for fun. The important thing is that you know the answers to these questions and that because you know, you can base your life, your day-to-day life on the fact that you know that you know. And therefore... You can live a flourishing existence. You can live the abundant life that Jesus promises us. The eternal, never-ending life, even right now, in this world and in eternity. Asserting this same Truth that you can know that you know negatively, God speaks to us through Hosea when He says, My people are destroyed. They do not have a flourishing existence, they do not have the abundant life because or for a lack of knowledge. Now the best comment I've seen on this very well-known verse is by one of my intellectual heroes, Dallas Willard. In his book, Knowing Christ Today, he says this. He says, people perish for lack of knowledge because only knowledge permits, get this, assured access. What does that mean? It means you know that you know Assured access to reality. And reality does not adjust itself to accommodate for our false beliefs, errors, or hesitations in actions. Life, reality, especially this flourishing, abundant life that Jesus promises to those who make themselves his student. Life demands a steady hand for good and only knowledge applies supplies this this is true in the spiritual life as well as everywhere else unfortunately in our current culture we have two competing forces that want to deny everything we've said so far the first is naturalism or materialism scientism that, thinks, that, that asserts that you can only know things that are empirically researched, that you can find out in a test tube, so to speak. The opposite error that also attacks the idea that you can know that you know goes under the title of postmodernism, is, is this idea of everything's Relative, And we are only going to barely touch on both of these concepts, because I don't want to put you all to sleep. But we're going to touch on these concepts, and I want you to know that you know there is truth you can grab. Now, of course, both of these are ridiculous, and a culture not raised on Dora the Explorer would know that it is simply not true that you can't know. And those of you who are not familiar with Dora the Explorer, (laughs) I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. You should be glad you don't. But any of us who have kids or grandkids of a certain age will know that we are not taught to think. Instead, we are taught to endlessly repeat inane phrases of questionable veracity. I'm a map, I'm a map, I'm a map, I'm a map. Yes, that is what your grandkids are watching on a daily basis. Swiper, stop swiping. Okay, never mind. Moving on. (laughs) Now, it is true that you cannot prove God in a test tube. I will... I will grant to the empiricists, the, the people who are saying that you can only know things and attest to you, I will grant to them that you cannot prove God's existence empirically. And I'm not going to be so foolish to say you can. However, you can, beyond a reasonable doubt, convict God of existence in a court of law. You can know that you know that he exists And that's all that we really need to know. We just really need to know that he is there. To show that this is true, a friend of mine was uh, on a campus, a college campus, and as usual, when uh, Christian intellectuals go to secular campuses, there's usually some groups that will meet with them. And he sat down with the uh, president of the Atheist Club and, and did a college station interview. And as he sat down, the interviewer said, I have no beliefs, I have only scientific knowledge. Now, I want to look at this statement, this assertion, because it's very important for us to understand both the problems that we face, but also the opportunities. This person, uh, his name was Bill, has said, I have no beliefs, I have only scientific knowledge. But this statement is itself a belief. He did not gain this belief scientifically. You can't test this in a test tube, so to speak. And because this is a belief, and this particular belief is a non-scientific, you don't get it through empirical research, it is self-refuting. Now, self-refuting simply means that the statement commits suicide. It doesn't match up to its own uh, standard of uh, criteria uh, for truth. If I, have, if I say I have no beliefs, then I am in trouble. Now, I'm pointing this out. Dave Horner, my professor who told me this story, was, uh, who was being interviewed, he said... That one cannot be alive and conscious as a rational being and have no beliefs at all. Now I want you to hear this because every single person you've ever run into has beliefs. They have all kinds of beliefs. In fact, it's more important than that. Your cat has beliefs. If you have a cat or a dog, your cat or your dog has a thought. And this thought is, if I go into this room, I will find some food. And that thought then is based on that cat or dog's experience. And it kind of cruises in there and says, whoo food. It believes and therefore it acts on that belief. So when he says this idea, this rational being, he's not even just talking about human beings. That's a whole nother topic, and if you're interested in that, uh, I have some weird theories about that if you want to know what they are. Um, So tonight, what I want to do is I want to begin. I want to just start a process of arming you with some very basic tools so that when you are faced with this kind of nonsense, I have no beliefs, I just have scientific knowledge... When you are faced with this kind of knowledge, this kind of nonsense, that you cannot know that God exists, you can respond coherently. Now, coherently means you can respond in a way that makes sense. And hopefully, you will then also respond cogently. In other words, you will be able to convince them of at least some level of folly and hopefully open a door for Uh, greater knowledge in the future. By the way, I'm going to take a time out just for a second. When I am faced in a situation like this, my goal is not to convince them of the Christian God. My goal in a situation like this is to just kind of crack open the door. It's just a kind of, uh, a pastor friend of mine from a church in Rialto uh, said, you just want to chuck a spiritual time bomb and it may take a little ticking and it may take a little time for it to pop so that they say, oh, wait a minute, he's talking about Jesus. Well, I was. But if you go at a one-shot kill, so to speak, you'll always miss because they'll feel abused. They'll feel taken advantage of. They'll, they'll feel your arrogance, and that isn't going to be helpful. <clears throat> so to begin with, I want to talk about what is truth. What does truth mean and how can we know it? And then I want to move on to beliefs because beliefs and truth are not the same thing. But we'll see how that they're related. And then we'll go about justifying how we have beliefs so we can answer the question we asked at the beginning. How do you know? So let's begin with by asserting the fact that truth is a relation it is a relation between a proposition and reality so here is a proposition the proposition is it is raining and that is going to have a relation to reality okay so in this time next slide we see that the proposition has a true Correspondence or a true relation to reality. It is, in fact, raining. Now, as I said, if it is raining, then the proposition it is raining is true. Of course, it may be false. I may assert the proposition it is raining, but the sun is standing out. In this case, the relation is going to be false. It doesn't correspond, it doesn't relate. Rightly to the reality. Now, so that is how, that is what truth is. Truth corresponds to what really happens. And, you know, raining or the sun is shining is a fairly easy one, and that's why we use it for an example. But let's take one more step. Let's talk about belief. And in the next slide, we see that Frank believes. It is raining. So by me saying Frank believes, what I'm asserting is that Frank holds the proposition. He asserts that the proposition, it is raining, is true. I know I'm using some big words here, but I think it's a fairly easy thing to grasp. If Frank believes it is raining, and it's raining, then Frank believes correctly. Frank has a true Belief. Okay? You following me? This is going to get a little more complicated as we, as we go on. So I want you to make sure you see this. Now the next slide shows the opposite relation. Frank believes it is raining. But the proposition it is raining in this case is false. Therefore Frank believes incorrectly. He believes wrongly. His assertion of this proposition it is raining is false. False. Okay, two things need to be stated here. Number one, the proposition, the thing on the right side of the screen needs to correspond to reality. It has a relationship to what actually exists. And if it does not, then there's nothing for it to link up to. There's nothing for it to correspond to, and it must be false. Now, second point is, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Go back. If you can. The second thing is that a belief is a holding to. It is a asserting of a proposition. I'm going to use some fancy words here. It is an epistemical lie. <laughs> oh, man. I, I practiced that and then I blew it. Epistemological position, it is a belief assertion, it is a stance that one takes relative to a proposition. Now don't forget, the proposition must be based on, must be founded on, a correspondence or a right relationship to reality. By the way, because I know there's at least four or five of you in this room, I am asserting one form of truth, justification. There are others, but the others are wrong. And uh, this is the right one. If you want to know anything about the other three or four, talk to me later. (laughs) Now, hopefully, we will examine our beliefs. By the way, as Christians, we must examine our beliefs. The Bereans were given... Uh, they were applauded for the fact that they went and examined the scriptures to find out if the beliefs that Paul was asserting were real. They wanted to know if his assertions about reality were, in fact, true. You owe it to yourself, to God, and to the world around you, not just to say, well, I believe it because my church says it, or I believe it because you know, everybody around me believes it. You owe it to examine your beliefs. And if you do, and if you give, are able to find and then give good evidence for your beliefs, then you will have what's considered a rational belief. You will have something that is based on good evidence. Now... Let me stop here for a second because it's very important. It's very important to not only understand that rational beliefs are those that are based on good evidence, they're they're founded on as best we can understand reality. But there are many in the culture around us who deny that that is even possible. Now, I don't want to fall into the camp of overgeneralism. Overgeneralizing. And we uh, Christians, and I have been guilty of this, are commonly accused of oversimplifying uh, postmodernism or relativism. Primarily, one of the things that they're attacking is you cannot have a rational belief based on or regarding a moral truth. So I don't want to oversimplify, but let's examine what they're saying and what a common thing that's asserted by the people around you is they'll say something like that's true for you but that's not true for me i want to arm you for that exact comment because that particular one is very often given first you have to understand this is a belief You're, it's not it's it's heard as a truth assertion but it is not it is actually a belief assertion. At best, if you, if you want to give it the, the best possible favorable interpretation of what they're saying, they're saying something like, you believe that, but I don't. And the fundamental answer to someone saying this is you need to say you can't be guilty of mixing up this idea of truth and this idea of belief. You can't be mixing up. You ought not to be mixing up this idea of truth being corresponding to reality, being a proposition asserting a reality and a belief about a proposition. A belief about a proposition is grounded in reality. Um, Once again... They are confusing truth and belief. The person who would state this obviously believes it. But he is not making a truth claim. He is making what I called earlier a belief assertion. Now, if you tell them that, if you tell them, by the way, you're not making a truth claim. You're just making a belief assertion and and really it it falls on itself. It doesn't really ultimately make sense. It's self-refuting. It commits suicide. If you say that, duck. Because they might hit you. Because there is no argument. You, you, you can't argue rationally that this is true. Now I know I, I'm simplifying things here. If you want to know a little bit more about this, we can talk about it. But ultimately, I think my assertion is correct. There is one more thing that you can say And this is going to take a little bit of thought. And before we get there, I want to say something that my professors have been saying the last two and a half years. Don't worry about not getting everything I'm saying to you right now. Don't worry about the fact that after you walk out the door, 80% of what you've heard me say, you'll forget. I want you to get, number one, that there are really good answers to these questions, and you don't have to be afraid of the bluster. Number two, I want you to get that you can come to me and ask me, and we'll talk about these things. But number three, I want you to hear, even if it's just for a moment, I want you to hear these concepts, because you'll hear them again in the next however many weeks we're doing this series, however long it ends up. So put your thinking caps on, because what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about the three laws of thought. Uh, The three laws of thought are older than Plato. Plato seems to be the person who first wrote them down. But he came up with three uh, laws of thought. The first is the law of identity, the law of non-contradiction, and the law of the excluded middle. Again, what I want you to get out of this very commonsensical stuff that you have always believed but you've never thought enough to put it into words is that this really means something in your everyday thinking let's talk about what each of them are the law of identity is, says basically something is the same of itself as itself and nothing else you're like duh, come on Greg, I thought you were giving us philosophy here Believe it or not, there's a lot of people who have a problem with this. The two that we're going to actually hit mostly tonight are the law of non-contradiction, and that is something cannot be true and false at the same time and in the same way. And the third one is the law of the excluded middle. Something is either true or false. Now let me illustrate these for you. I want to illustrate what these claims are and see what these laws of thought make them. Let's, let me make the assertion, the world is flat. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assert, I'm going to make a proposition that says the world is flat. Now, if I take the statement, it is true for you, but it's not true for me, then what I would be saying is, it is true for you that the world is flat, but it is not true for me that the world is flat. Now, as soon as you hear that, you realize how absurd the idea is. That's ridiculous. It can't be both true and false. That's the law of, or that's the, law of the excluded middle. Um, no, I, I said it right the first time. That's the law of non-contradiction. The law of the excluded middle would be the Eastern religious person who says, Oh, it doesn't matter. It's both true and false. We've we, we got to realize how ridiculously that is. Because if this were true, we would be asserting something like the world suddenly became roughly spherical whenever it is that they said that people figured out that the world was roughly spherical. In this case, both the law of non-contradiction and the law of the excluded middle come into play, and we recognize without actually even thinking about it that this is wrong. Okay, that was an easy example, and I don't think that there are any even relativists who would try to argue that statement. But here's one that they might. Let me make an assertion. Torturing babies for fun is wrong. If... Someone says, it's true for you that torturing babies for fun is wrong, but it may be right for me that torturing babies is wrong. You have one answer. Get help. Seriously. And then after you tell them to get help, run. Because you don't want to be by someone like that. Immediately tell them... and. Assure them that they are in serious need of help. Yes, but you may say. But that is such an easy example. And everybody knows that torturing babies for fun is wrong. Well, how do you know? How do you know that torturing babies for fun is wrong? Well, one answer might be, I just know. It's just It's just reality. That, by the way, is going to make an argument I'm going to make in a few minutes. But you would also, and and this would also be a coherent answer, you might say something like, well, there is a moral law that uh, torturing babies for fun is wrong. Actually, more likely what you'll hear is someone say something to the effect of, well, I don't know, but I just know. The only way That you can know that torturing babies for fun is wrong is if there is a moral law. And if there is a moral law, then it may, and notice I said may, also be true that telling white lies is wrong. It may be true that holding bitterness in your heart against someone is wrong. And if that same moral law that condemns torturing little uh, babies for fun, if that uh, moral law asserts that, it may also assert that there are things that you're doing that are wrong. And what is true for you is going to also be true for me. Now, We have to be